Hey, what's up, guys? This is Pastor Austin from Good Shepherd Church, and this is our podcast. So happy you're tuning in this week to stay caught up on what the Lord's doing in us and through us. I hope this content encourages you. I hope it challenges you, builds up your love for Jesus. Hope you enjoy the message. We love you. How we doing, church? What's up? Good to be with you all. Uh, Man, we just had a ton of fun last week. So before I jump into anything for a message this morning, just want to acknowledge how awesome last week was. We saw 16 people, a part of our church family, get baptized last weekend, which was crazy, crazy awesome. Um, I got to see some of my dear friends dedicate their babies. I thought the dedication letters that were read were just weep worthy. Do you know what I mean? Like they just wrote some amazing letters, watched some new friends become members of this church. And I, I have just, I got to let you know on the front end of this, that I, I woke up Monday morning with just a full and glad heart to get to serve this church as your guys' pastor. It is one of the greatest delights of our heart to get to serve this place. And I just, I love making a mess of the kingdom of darkness with you all. Like you, I just feel like it's ride or die and let's go, let's do this whole thing. You know what I mean? Man, it was just a ton of fun last week. We, uh, we have been in this series going through the letters of the Apostle John. So not the Gospel of John, but the, later, the letters that he writes later in his life. And so if you have a Bible with you, uh, you can grab that. We're going to be in the book of 1 John this week. Uh, we started this series three weeks back. And what we did at the very onset of this series is we just acknowledged that John is writing this letter. He's writing to churches. He's writing to people to encourage them that you can be assured that you have eternal life. And that's just an incredible thing. I am convinced that if we lived with the assurance of the eternal life that God promises, then it will completely change how we live today. Like if we just believed everything that's coming for us in heaven, it would just, it would absolutely impact the things that we held on to, the things we gave our time for, the way we let go of our money, just whatever it was. If we knew what was coming for us, then we would just go nuts for today, wouldn't we? Like we would just do whatever it is that God wanted us to do today. The other thing that we looked at then that opening week was that we can actually experience the love of God. That the love of God does not just have to be some intangible uh, head knowledge that we can learn about, but it can actually be an experiential knowledge knowing that the God who spoke the universe into existence loves you. And that, again, is a game-changing thing for you to experience on this morning and on any other morning like this. My biggest prayer, my biggest hope as we walk in this place is that you would experience the love of God because it changes you. I, I could use whatever words I want. We could sing whatever songs we want, but if the Spirit of God, the presence of God doesn't come and ignite for you a love in your heart for Him, it doesn't matter what we do. We need most desperately to know that God loves us and he's for us. And so then the week after that, Taylor walked us through this walking in light, putting off darkness, walking in light. I thought he just did an amazing job. I didn't get time to celebrate it last week, but I thought Taylor just knocked it out of the park two weeks ago. If you haven't heard that sermon, go back and listen to it. Yeah, come on. And if I were you, if I were you, and if I had kids in this place right now, I would just be pumped about what God is doing in this church family. Like there are not many churches in town where you kind of have to be on the lookout in between services to make sure you're not going to get run over by a (laughs) four-year-old, right? But like, like there's a bunch of them up up in here. It's incredible. It's amazing. And between what God's doing in our preschool, our elementary rooms, to the stuff that's going on with Go Big and Desperation Conference, the excitement that we have in some of the young leadership here, like it is just an exciting thing to have kids growing up in this church right now. And like, I'm just, I'm begging you, church, don't don't miss the specialness that we have going on right now. Like it is a beautiful, wonderful, chaotic, amazing thing. I talked last week, I spoke last week briefly on how we are going to, starting in here just a few weeks, we're gonna be renovating the nine rooms that wrap this main room. 
Uh, we're going to totally redo our preschool spaces, and we are going to get back to rooms in doing this, and uh, it is going to get messier before it gets better, right? If you missed last week, I'd encourage you to jump on our website, gschurch.info. You can click the Here to Stay button to unpack all the different projects that are going on. Uh, but man, church, uh, I'm excited for summer. Listen, parents right now, I just bless you in Jesus' name. If you need to get on the boat, you need to go camping this summer, like we're going to need our kids' ministry attendance to dip just a little bit this summer because we're going to have to be finding rooms to place these kids. And so if y'all just like have a fun time going somewhere, praise God, have a fun time going somewhere, watch the sermon online, come back up in here the next week, all right? It's just me blessing you as your pastor right now to have a fun summer, okay? Jesus is first, absolutely, yes and amen. But also there's some just very real things going on. So anyways, First John, here we go. If you have your Bible with you, I'd love if you could grab it. See that I'm not making anything up this morning. Um, if you have a digital Bible, a paper Bible, uh, whatever you have, open it up to First John chapter 2. Easiest way to find it. If you're not familiar with your Bible, go to Revelation and then just back up a few pages and you'll be right there. First John chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible with you, it's going to be up on the screen. I'm going to just walk through a few things. If you remember, John, as he's writing this, uh, is a verbal processor. So he's in and out of argument. I, I'm sure you've been in an argument before with a verbal processor. And at some point in the argument, you're like, yeah, I got it. You've been there already. And that's what it feels like to read the book of John. He's just continually weaving through all these different things. But I think what he does in chapter two is in the first six verses, he tells us everything that we need to know for all of chapter two. So we'll start by reading these first six verses, work our way through it. Keep in mind, John is 80 years old as he writes this, this letter. And he starts this passage by saying, my little children. I think part of that is just everybody's a little child to you when you're 80 years old. Like you just, everyone's younger than you. You know what I'm saying? But keep this in mind. John walked with Jesus when he was somewhere between the ages of 16 and 24 years old. That was when he got to experience the ministry and the person of Jesus Christ. And if you want to know who I want to be when I grow up, I want to be a person that's just in love with Jesus at 80 than I was at 18. Like it's a beautiful thing happening in John's life. And as he encourages us, he says, my little children, not in a condescending way, not to talk down to us, not to make anything of age, but literally he's just trying to, he's trying to show his affection and his tenderness for the church as he writes this letter. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate. Uh, the word there is a defense attorney. We have an advocate with the Father. His name is Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the, he is the propitiation for our sins. Now, I know that's like a $5 word, and some of you only had $1 worth of coffee this morning. So let me just, propitiation. It's literally the song we just sang. Thank you, Jesus, for the blood applied. Glory to his name. He has washed us white as snow. Propitiation is the, the payment for a sin to repay a debt that we owe to God. The wages of our sin are death. That is our penalty. That is what is due. And praise God, the bill's been paid in full by Jesus Christ. He is the payment for our sin. He's the propitiation, the payment set forth for the sinfulness that you and I have. And not only for us, but for the sins of the whole world. Verse three, and by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him truly, the love of God is perfected, perfected, not all at once. 
It's not you give your life to Jesus and all of a sudden you are made perfect. It is that you are being perfected, made into the image of the Son, slowly, surely, day by day. It is this present continual tense that John is writing in. As in, if you remain in Jesus, you are continually being perfected in his work on the cross. So I don't just all of a sudden roll up after giving my life to Jesus and it's like, well, look at me. Perfection has arrived. No, no, it takes time. It takes days, one degree of glory at a time. I'm made into the image of the Son. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him truly, the love of God is perfected. By this, we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. How do we know we love him? We remain in him. If you want to know one of the ways that we have assurance of eternal life in Christ, it's that we simply remain in him. And as we remain in him, this word abide that John loves to use, as we abide in him, we start to walk like him. Now, it's not like we start to carry the cadence of our steps like Jesus would. We don't put on Jerusalem cruisers and slide around the city of Jerusalem, right? But this, this idiom, this ancient idiom would be walk like your teacher, walk in this way, as in live like him. Do the things that Jesus did. Put on the, the mentality of Christ as you're walking about your life. Put on the behavior of Christ, the servant of Christ, the, the love of Christ. As you go, you look like him, you live like him, you walk like him. Do we get that? So our three words that we're going to look for in 1 John chapter 2 this morning are advocacy, adoption, and abiding. And if you're playing sermon bingo this morning, I love that from a couple weeks ago. If you're playing sermon bingo, you're also going to cross off a fourth A. It's called the Antichrist, and we'll get there. I know you just can't wait if you've read ahead, right? Okay, here we go. The first one, advocacy, advocate. It says there in verse 1, we'll flip back to it. Chapter 2, verse 1, my little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, praise God, we have an advocate in Jesus. Now, like I said, that word advocate, it literally means defense attorney. So I don't know, how many of y'all have been in a courtroom setting? I'm not saying personally, but you were there to watch something go down, okay? Yeah, more hands were willing to go up there as I gave that little caveat. So um, I, I got invited to go to a court as a, as a character witness, and this was probably a year or two years ago, a couple summers back. And as I was going, I knew that I was going to give a character witness for a friend who was already guilty, Okay. So you track that. They, they are already guilty. And I go into this courtroom and I, I probably have never been intimidated this much before or since in my life. Like this judge, man, she would just, you could just tell, there's boss vibes all over this lady. She had her hair up in this bun and it was like, it was tight to perfection. You know what I'm saying? And that, like behind that teeny little hammer was a whole lot of authority. You could just feel it in the room. She had her coat on, there's robe. And I was just like, man, this is crazy. And as she talks, she just carries this tone, this sense of command, right? Fills the room. And like, I'm, I'm so intimidated. I'm watching as the, as the case is kind of unfolding. There is a defendant for the person I knew who I was giving a character witness for. And that defendant is there to try to prove as much as they possibly can the, the innocence of the friend that I was there for. And then there's another attorney on the other side of the aisle and their whole job is to make them sound as guilty as possible. So you have guilty versus innocent. And I'll tell you what, I sat there in the back row of this courtroom because I was scared. I was as far back as I possibly could be. And I was just like, defense attorney would go. And I was just like, those are some really good points. Man, that's really good. That's really, these people are obviously way smarter than me. And that's a good point. And then it'd, go, it'd flip to the other side. You know, we'd go to the defense and it'd be like, oh my gosh, yeah, those are, those are totally good points. And, uh, you know, I'm like, I'm not even sure what I should think of my friend anymore. Like, th that's real. That's good. 
And it's going back and forth. And ultimately the judge comes down. It was a, it was a sentencing hearing to see how long this person was going to be put in jail for. And, and I'll tell you this, like my fear in that moment was a, was a healthy fear kind of for our judicial system, right? So much more should I have a reverent fear as we approach the holy bench of God. God, the judge sitting there, robed perfectly, clothed perfectly, and he has all the authority, all the power, all the ability to do whatever he wants rests in his hands. And when this book says that we have an advocate in Jesus Christ, this is where it differs from the the earthly judicial system and the heavenly judicial system. Jesus is not there as our defendant trying trying to prove that we're innocent. But it's in our acknowledgement of guilt that we receive then the payment made by Jesus. Do you get this? So, so the public defendant that I went to see, they tried to make him seem as innocent as possible. But for you and me, what's happening is Jesus is sitting there as our advocate and, and what the sins are being cast down to the judge. And Jesus is like, guilty of that, but sir, your honor, dad, paid in full by me. That sin paid in full, took care of it on the cross. No, that sin Yeah, left it in the tomb. Thank you very much. Dad, took care of that bill. This is what it means to have Jesus as our advocate. And if you are caught this morning in some sort of besetting sin, something that you just can't seem to kick, something that you just can't seem to get rid of, praise God, you have somebody by the name of Jesus who's going like, paid for that, paid for that. Every time you fall, I paid for that. Thank you. That, That bill's been paid in full. If it wasn't paid, he'd still be in the grave. Do you know that this morning? Because our advocacy from Jesus helps us not walk in this guilt. Listen to me. We have to acknowledge our guilt if we're ever going to experience grace. There will be some preachers and some teachers that try to teach you anything but you feeling guilty. Feeling guilty is the doorway into redemption, but we do not want to stay guilty. There are too many Christians that have acknowledged their guilt but now remain postured as guilty. That's not our call to live. Our call is to step into, to rise up into the posture of adoption. That's the second one. So our advocacy of Jesus purchases for us adoption into God's family. Adoption into God's family. Here's how it reads now. We're gonna jump over to 1 John chapter two, going to verse seven. Verse seven, John writes, Beloved, I'm writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides or remains in the light and in him. There is no cause for stumbling, but whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. And then what John does is he goes into this poem and he really starts to recite this song via the letter where he just talks to the old men of the church. He talks to the young men and the children of the church. And and it's as if his whole mindset for the church of Jesus Christ is framed in this idea of family where he's saying, man, you need each other. You can't be treating each other in a certain way. You can't look at your brother and say you hate him. It's just like Taylor unpacked this for us a couple weeks ago. Again, he's a verbal processor. He comes in and out of the same argument. 
If you are saying that you love God, but you don't keep his commandments to love your neighbor and you hate that person instead, it is clear that the love of God is not in you. This is strong words from our friend John, from our, from our old man friend John, who's writing this to us. And as he's writing, what he's trying to encourage us is he's like, no, there's a love in you by the spirit of God, by the power of God to consider yourselves sons and daughters of his. So Romans 8, Paul writes it this way for us. He says, we didn't receive a spirit of slavery or of fear, but instead the Holy Spirit has given us a spirit of adoption by which we cry, Abba, Father. That our, our posture as Christians is not to remain guilty, remain full of shame. We acknowledge our guilt and then we turn into the loving arms of Jesus receiving the adoption that he has for us. Salvation, redemption is the primary gift of the gospel, but the ultimate gift of the gospel is adoption into God's family. That's how J.I. Packer says it, the old theologian. Like if we could just grasp that your heavenly father loves you, it would change the way you carry yourself into any given room, right? I, I, I just remember I used to work out at Gold's Gym, rest in peace, right? It's not there anymore, over by the old Jack's. And when, I, when I'd work out there, there was this uh, former NFL player who used to work out there. And he was, guys, just a mountain of a human being. Like he was massive. Arms as big as my legs, which I know is like, you're like, your legs aren't that big. But I'm just like, listen, his arms, they were huge, right? I remember one time he was bench pressing like all the weights. It was, it was 405 at least that I counted. And then it just probably more on the outside of that. And he was like, oh, hey, can you spot me? And I was like, what? Like, what do you want me to do? Like, if this goes sideways, like, you're just, you're dead. I can't help you at all. You know what I mean? <laughs> but I just, I would watch this guy get out of his truck, right? And he had all these kids and he would just, these big arms, dude. And he would like put two kids in each of his arms. He'd just walk into the gym. I'm like, can you imagine how that must have felt? Like, you're just these teeny little human beings being carried around by their big macho dad. But do you imagine the security they would have had? Do you imagine what that would have felt like to just be embraced by your father who's that powerful and that mighty, but yet that close and that tender? That's how the Christian should carry themselves only to the millionth degree. Like, have you seen my dad? My dad could totally beat up your dad. (laughs) He spoke and the universe fell out of his mouth. He's for me. His plans for me are good. He doesn't have plans for harm. Like my dad is awesome. And if we embraced the love of our father and if we carried ourselves as adopted sons, adopted daughters into God's family, it would, you would not fear. You would not be timid. You wouldn't be cautious in your approach to life. You'd have this boldness, just like we saw in the early church where they would just go after things. They would share. People are like, I'm gonna beat you up. And they're like, beat me up. Have you seen my dad? I don't care. He's preparing a place for me. And here's the reminder. Whatever the affliction is today, Whatever the discomfort is today, the diagnosis, the relationship strain, the painful thing that you're stuck in, you may not see deliverance from that thing this side of heaven, but your father's preparing a place for you. Can I remind you of that this morning, church? Your heavenly father has a place for you. It's a big, big house with lots and lots of rooms. He's still working on it today. It's perfect. All of the shame, all of the pain points of sin are gonna be buried once and forevermore. And we're gonna get to step into this permanent state of Zoe, abundant, everlasting life forever. And 10,000 years, I'm sorry what you're going through right now. I'm sorry for what you're going through, but 10,000 years from now, you won't remember it. You only remember the goodness and the kindness and the greatness of our Father who is in heaven. And as you receive this gift of adoption, the commandment that John shows for us in chapter two 
is to now love other people the way God has loved you. See, because he says, I'm writing to you this new commandment. The only thing is the commandment itself is not new. The command to love your neighbor was given all the way back in the Levitical law. God had been telling the people of God to care for and to treat and to love neighbors around them in a certain way. He'd been saying that from the very beginning to them. So John comes and he says, now I give you this new commandment, only it's not new, but the way that you should hear it is new. Why is this? Because God does not change. We don't turn the page from the Old Testament, step into Matthew and now get a new version of who God is. But the age that you and I now sit in is different than the age that the Old Testament followers of God walked in. Because what we have now is we have an understanding of what this new version of love actually is. Agape love. Love that does not consider its own way first, but instead gives itself away. Lays down your life for the sake of another. The way that Jesus lives his life becomes the blueprint, the template for the church today to love our neighbors around us. And that's why John can say, it's a new commandment I give to you. Love your neighbor. How? In the same way that Jesus has loved you. So the commandment itself is not new, but the age that you and I now get to sit in and the privilege that we have in this moment of history is to love people the way that Jesus loved us, this agape kind of love. We, we cannot let ourselves as the church become the kind of like snobby rich kids that don't share our stuff with anybody. You know what I mean? Like I just had, I had a couple of these friends in high school and they just like, man, whatever, praise God, they just like, they came from money. Like it's cool to have some of those friends in your life. Can we just acknowledge that, right? Like I don't have a boat, but I hope to have a friend with a boat this summer. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> All right, half of you are with me, whatever. That's, I just like, um, man, there were a couple of friends that like, they just had some things given to them that were pretty awesome for all of us to utilize, but they, they didn't like love to share it with everyone else. Like I, I, I helped my dad, my dad and I rebuilt an 84 F-150 for my first car. Come on. Like I broke knuckles on that thing. I, I learned some things about cars and that thing. And it, and it, to the day that I drove it, even though we'd restored it, worked on it for years, it still barely ran. All right. I was grateful for that car though. I love that car. Meanwhile, I had friends that were like getting 07 Mustangs just handed to them. By the way, 07, that, that was new back then. That was brand new, right? That was the year it was made, okay? I had other friends that lived in big houses on the lake and then they just had all this stuff. They had everything at their fingertips and then it was like, bro, when are we coming over to your house? And it was like, ah, never, you know? <laughs> Come on. Like we as the church, we cannot be the snobby rich kid who doesn't share his stuff. We've got to be the people who are like, I've been entrusted with everything. I have this heavenly father who's lavished grace on me, lavished love on me, lavished kindness towards me. And I have to then extend that to the people around me. We can't hoard it all for ourselves. Gosh, get some for yourself so that you can give it away to somebody else. We're called to love people. We're called to serve people. We're called to give up, love not our own lives, even unto death for the sake of others. This is the call of the church. This is, I would say, the privilege of the church is to receive that kind of love from God first and then extend it to the world around us. This is what the spirit of adoption does. Adoption is our posture, but then love is our behavior. So how do you know if somebody's really been adopted into the household of faith? By the way they love each other is what John's saying here. By the way they love the household of faith, by the way they love their neighbors. So we have advocacy, adoption. Let's look for our third one here is abiding. Go now down to verse 15. Chapter 2, verse 15. 
John says, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of life is not from the Father, but it's from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Now, this is kind of a, a jarring verse if you know your Bible well, because John here is saying, hey, don't love the world. But you know what John also says in John 3.16? Pretty sure you might be familiar with that verse. For God so loved the world that he gave. He gave his only begotten son. So what's, is there a contradiction here? Not at all. What John's talking about in the gospel of John is God's love for the people of the world. But now as we read this here, what he's talking about is don't fall in love with the things of the world. What he's saying here is that the temptation of the world is strong, but we have to also recognize that the world is only temporary. The things of the world, are temp they're tempting to look at. We'll want to have them. We'll want to take them, but they're also only going to last a short while. I think as we read this, what we're missing in English is we read that line, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life, and we miss what John's initially talking about. What this should do is it should cast our minds to Genesis chapter 3. When Eve saw the, the tree, she saw the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And what did she see? She saw that it was good to look at. It was pleasant to look at. It was the, it was the desires of the eyes. The desires of the flesh. She saw that it was good for eating. It looked tasty. It looked like it would be nourishing. So she saw that it was good. It was this desire of her flesh. And then it was the pride of life. She saw that it had the ability to make one wise. And so she took from it and she ate. And this is the exact same thing that all of us have done. We've tried to take something out of this temporary broken world and we've tried to use that to satisfy the desires of our flesh. It's the pride of our own life. It's the lust of our own eyes looking into this world to solve the problems that you and I have. Every single one of us. And this is, this, it, this is where we, we go from here. If you were to read this next section of scripture, you can read it on your own. We don't have all the time today. But this is where John starts to talk about the Antichrist. The Antichrist that have left from among you. And the Antichrist, right? He's like, well... What's the Antichrist? You know, we're just evangelicals in America. We're so obsessed with the Antichrist because he's like the Bible boogeyman, right? Like, when's he coming? What's he going to do? What's it going to look like? And, and here's, here's my best guess is that, yes, the Antichrist, the Antichrist, is a coming political world influential leader of some kind. And he's going to be smooth talking and everything he says is going to sound really good. But ultimately, what's going to make him the Antichrist is that he denies that Jesus is the Christ. And what John goes even further to say is he's like, the spirit of the Antichrist has actually already been among you. So what's the charge for the church that John's writing to? It's like, hey, not necessarily for us to worry about this coming person one day, but to acknowledge that the spirit of the Antichrist can live amongst us even right now. How many of you know, like this idea of liking Jesus's stuff, but not looking to him as your Lord is already a pervasive thought in the church of America today. We want the blessings of God. We want the gifts of God. We want some of the things that God has to offer so long as we don't have to bend the knee to King Jesus and say, God, your will be done. Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And I think the spirit of the Antichrist that exists today is especially leaders or people of influence who are leading people astray from the actual church of Jesus 
to try to follow after a quasi-Jesus teaching that sounds pretty good on the outside, but ultimately, when you look at it, it denies that Jesus is Lord. And he's saying there's already antichrists among you. And so as we look at this idea of abiding, we have to talk about the pull of the world. Because that word abide, what it really means, what it really means is to remain, to stay close to. I read a commentary this week, this week that says abiding is, you can think of it as like what you put your weight down into. I love that analogy. I'm, I'm not much for paddleboarding. I just like, if I'm going to be on the water, like I just want to be sitting. Thank you very much. Like relaxing. I don't really want to be like trying to exercise or whatever, but I can only imagine paddleboarding is probably important that you get your weight where? Like in the middle somewhere, right? Like if I get off way to one side, I'm gonna, if I get off to the other side, I'm going to, I'm going to fall into the water. Like, it shouldn't surprise you when I say this. You fall into what you put your weight on. Like, you would expect if I were to put my weight down off this stage, I would end up down there. The invitation that John has for us in this passage is to put your weight into Jesus. Because the desires of the flesh, the pull of the world is tempting. Gosh, he says, like, I love that he says, the desires of the eyes. Church, do you know there are so many things that are going to pull you off of Jesus just by what you see? Man, if you're struggling with lust in here today, it, it has been proven. It is, it is obvious the way that they study it. If, if you see things, you are drawn into that desire all the more. You can have so much victory over the desires that you have in your flesh just by changing what you see. I don't know if that means putting the phone away. I don't, mean if, I don't know if it means deleting the Instagram app or whatever it is that you're stumbling. Jesus would say, if you keep sinning, if you keep lusting, gouge your eye out. No, what he literally means is take the dramatic step to get that sin out of your life. And so I don't know what it is for you. Maybe it's coveting. Maybe you're always eyeballing other people's stuff on Facebook. Maybe you're always looking at people's highlight reel on their Instagram reels. And you're just going, man, well, I... I don't have any trips to Mexico planned this year. Like, poor me, I'm just, and you're coveting all the time. Listen, if you have sin in your life, find out how you can keep yourself from seeing the things that tempt you. Because your eyes end up being this gateway into your soul that are gonna pull your weight into different directions. No, but our aim as Christians is to put our weight down on Jesus so that if we stumble or if we fall, we're coming back into the grace and mercy and kindness of Jesus. That's what saved us initially, and that's what's going to keep on saving us throughout eternity. It's Jesus. I mean, I want to build my life, put my weight down on the solid rock, so that not if the storms of life come, when the storms of life come, anything else will be just be shifting sand that will blow me over. But if I'm built on the rock of Christ, I'm going to be okay. Because the things may crumble, the relationship may fall, the job may go through, the kids may not come home. But you know what? If I have Christ, he's going to be there to catch me. This is what it looks like to put your weight down in Jesus. Practically, what does abiding look like? I think it's carving out time to be with Jesus. Like, listen, Katie, Katie's been getting up to walk at like, you know, the most ungodly hours of the morning, just so early. And I'm just like, I can't do that. I would love to, but I just can't get up with you that early. And so what I've been doing, she gets out of the bed and I just lay there for the first 10, 15 minutes before I'm able to like actually open the eyes all the way. You know that feeling, right? Where am I? I mean, come on, second service. You're all my non-morning people, right? <laughs> and what would it look like if you just sat there for the first 10 minutes before you ever put your feet on the, car, on the ground next to you and you said, come Holy Spirit. God, what do you want from me today? God, I'm all yours. God, I only want what you want for my day. I might open up my calendar app on my phone. Okay, God, where, 
Where do I have pockets of time? Where am I going to, where am I stop and pray? Where, who am I going to be with today? Who are the people I'm going to see? Where are the pain points in my schedule? And how can, how can you be in part, a part of those things? It's, it's putting, my, putting my weight down in him. I'm giving him the first part of my day. I'm finding a piece of my day every day to spend some time in his word. Because I, I don't want just some podcast thinker. I don't want just some pastor. I don't want just some book filling up my mind. No, I want my weight down in Jesus. I want my weight down in his word. I want to know what he has to say. I want to know the things that are in this book more than I know the catchy things that are trending on Twitter. I want to put my weight down on him. I want to put my weight down on my resources. Like I want my first and my best to go to God. I, I, I want my first of my time, the first day of my week. That's what you're doing here on a Sunday. It's not the last day of the week, everybody. It's the first day of the week. I'm giving him my time. I'm giving him my resources. I'm putting me down into him so that it's going to be hard to shift me out of this place that I've built in my life. My relationships, my friendships, my time, my money, my prayers, my thoughts, they're anchored in Jesus. That's what it looks like to abide. First John, he closes this chapter two in verse 24 and 25. He says, let what you have heard from the beginning abide in you. All these temptations to follow after this teaching or that teaching, this person leading people astray, this temptation of the world, this seduction over here, this thing that looks really appeasing over here. He says, no, 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 let what you heard from the beginning, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of his word, the good news of his salvation, let that remain in you. If what you've heard from the beginning remains in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father because we have an advocate in Jesus Christ. And every time we make a mistake, Jesus is right there to the Father saying, yeah, it's paid for. It's paid in full. Took care of it. Left it on the cross. Buried it in the grave. He's advocating for us. We're adopted into his family. And it says, if you remain in that truth, if you remain in that gospel, this is the promise that he's made to us. Eternal life eternal life. Eternal life, not just someday, not just when God comes and he makes everything right with the world that's so broken, but eternal life for right now. Everlasting life for right now. What was it, the baptism last week where the guy just, all he said was, I once was blind, but now I see. Uh, my, my kid literally after that, we were driving home, my son, he was like, so was he like blind? <laughs> I was like, let me tell you this, bud. Like when you come to Jesus, it's like a veil is taken off of your eyes. And you can finally see the world as it was intended to be seen by Jesus from the beginning. Does it make all the problems go away? No, absolutely not. We have problems that we will need to prevail for. But my encouragement to you, church, is remain in him. Remain in him. Carve out time. Find ways for him to show up in your calendar. Find ways for him to show up in your community, in your resources. Remain in him. As we end today, I think there's probably just a few places of prayer that the Holy Spirit might want to meet you in this moment. As I was praying for you all, as I was writing this message, I was like, God, how is it that we should respond? And I think we should respond really just with a few minutes to let the Holy Spirit do whatever it is that he wants to do with you. Here's just a few places I think that might prompt you as you've been listening to this message now for the last 30, 40 minutes. Is I think for some of you, your first thing that you need to do is, as I'm going through this love for the world and this competitiveness or this comparison, this coveting, this lust, it's time for you to cut ties with the world we do not receive a spirit of slavery. You should not be enslaved to sin that holds you back, but we have received a spirit of adoption by which we cry, Abba, Father, is Romans 8. And so maybe it's time for some of you to finally take that drastic step to cut ties with the love for the world that you have, that thing that keeps pulling you off of your true north. 
Maybe for some of you, you're reading this, and this is the one, honestly, that I'm probably most stirred up about. Maybe for some of you, you need to repent for not loving a person the way that God has loved you. That one hit me like a ton of bricks as I read that passage this morning, as I read that passage this week. Man, I don't know about you. I've just got some people in my life that feel especially difficult in this season right now. And they're making loving them quite unpleasant for me. Okay, so there's one person who think that's funny that's with me, right? Um, that's great. Like, this is the one where I just go, okay, God, help me have the mindset that I was a difficult person first before they were difficult to me. I was the one who was dead in my trespasses and sin before you made me alive in Christ. So help me love people the way that you've loved me, God. Uh, maybe for some of you, the, 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 the challenge this morning, the call this morning, the prompt from the Holy Spirit is just to put your weight down into Jesus. I was talking to this guy on the phone literally yesterday and he was, had some questions about our church. He's like, man, listen, all my friends just go to your church, but I'm not really a church person, but I just really like, I, I, I love the idea of community and I, I really agree with your view on parenting and the way, and I'm like, bro, you sound like a church person just talking to you as much as you're like, I don't want to come to church. He's like, well, my main hangup is just that you just read this really old book and you say that it's perfect. I'm like, dude, cool. Bring your questions about the book in. Come hang out, come be a part of this. But someday what's gonna happen is you're gonna get to a message like this and I'm gonna say, hey, finally now is the day. Maybe for some of you in this room, you've been that guy. You've never just like put your weight down into Jesus. Like maybe for some of you in this prompt right here, what you can finally say is, God, I'm surrendering myself to you. Here I am, Lord, like have, have my life, take it from me. And that's a place that Jesus will meet you in. And this fourth one, I just, I felt it especially strong as I was up praying for this church, for our church this morning. I think there's far too many Christians who know the church answers, who, who have all the scripture memorized. They do all the church looking things, but they live with this posture of guilt. They never feel like they're good enough. They never feel like they're measuring up. They've been following Jesus for however many years and they just feel like they should be farther along. And so they remain with this, with this posture of guilt rather than standing in a spirit of adoption. And I, I just wonder if the Holy Spirit right now wants to just reaffirm your adoption this morning to remind you that there is a father in heaven, the son, Jesus Christ, and the spirit of God who all just wanna say, look at you, I love you. I see what you're going through. Hold on, I wanna be with you and I'm near and I'm close and I care. That's the heart of the father speaking this morning. So what I wanna do is just take a few minutes here before we stand and pray and close the service. And we just, I want you as in, you're in your seat, just say, come Holy Spirit. How would you have me respond to this word that was just spoken? I just have to imagine that for some of you, there's something just jumping out on that page. And I just wanna encourage you that this is part of your church family up here. These are friends that wanna stand up with you and help fight with you. And so if you need prayer for anything that's on that list this morning, I want you to come on forward and go ahead and receive prayer before you leave today. Don't leave without getting someone to talk to. Um, but for the rest of us, let's just, let's just pray. Spirit of the living God, we just ask that we would walk more boldly and more confidently knowing that we have an advocate in Jesus, the blemish-free, perfect lamb who was slain on our behalf so that we could receive a spirit of adoption as we step into God's family. God, thank you for this church family. I thank you for all the generations that are present, for the young kids, to the gray hair in the room. God, we just thank you that you have knitted us together as a spiritual family here in Loveland. And I just ask that you continue to do mighty works through us, that as we come in every single week, would there be something that marks us, God, about how much we love you and we love being in your presence and that that gets 
out of us as we then go and we walk away from this place. Jesus, I just, I pray for our weeks as we go out of here to interact with whoever we're going to interact with. Help us love those people well and help us as we face the temptations of this world, help us to put our weight down in you. Jesus, we love you and we need you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen.